Amen to that, hey? Praise to our Father. Well, many of us here might remember the headlines in August 1977. The king is dead. Yes, what are we talking about? Elvis, yeah. For some of us a bit younger, the headlines popped up again in June 2009. The king of pop is dead. Michael Jackson. Now, I was planning at this point to do a moonwalk, (laughs) but I can't, so I won't. We have some pretty clear images that come to mind when we hear someone or something with the title king. If I said to you, king of the jungle, what comes to mind? Tarzan or lion? Heard both, yeah? This is going back a bit. The king of swing? Not Bing Crosby, no. Benny Goodman, king of swing. Yeah. Let's be more Australian. What about king of the mountain? Peter Brock, the king of spin, Shane Warne. Isn't it funny that there's something in our vernacular where we want to attach the word king to someone particularly who who seems to rise above and be better than or someone who we want to give our adoration and praise to. Um, I think there's just something innately in us that, that there's this sense of searching for a king. Searching for someone that we can give our attention and our praise and our adoration to. It's unfortunate that in our society it's usually for people who play sport at a particular level or star in movies or sing songs. Um, Now those things are all good and enjoyable but in the big scheme of things they're they're not what life's all about. Six weeks ago we saw the headlines... There is a new king. There is a new king. And a lot of people in our country, in our context, have an interest in the British monarchy and have for a long time. So I I did a bit of a Google search, as you do. I wondered, what does the king, this new king, King Charles III, what power does he actually have? I need my phone. Can I'm getting off the screen to just get my phone. Thank you. I wasn't prepared. All right, so I, I did a little bit of research. What does King Charles actually have power over? One research I looked at said, well, basically nothing. Um, he's, a, he's a figurehead whose behaviour reflects suitable decorum and grace. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Uh, um, he does have a little bit of power in that he has to give a stamp to any bills that come through Parliament, but he can't make those bills or make those laws. Um, you know, a, a British king a long time ago probably could have, but not in today's. But what he does, check this out, I don't know if you know this, the king retains the right to claim ownership of any unmarked mute swan swimming in open waters. <laughs> Imagine that. 
He also claims dominion over all whales, sturgeons and dolphins in the waters around England and Wales. I wonder how often he does that. He can drive without a licence and he can travel without a passport. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? Our culture holds, I think, this, this fascination with kings. It's some of our most famous literature. If you take, you know, the Narnia series or the Lord of the Rings series, there's this image about a king, a king returning, a king that there was a good king and stuff goes wrong and they're waiting for the return of the good king. It's part of our, our DNA. We understand this. The Christian worldview would suggest that we are built to be under the rule of a king. That's how we're created, to give our focus and our allegiance and our commitment to a king. And if we don't offer those to the true king, we will offer that stuff to a false king. Whether that's a person or a thing or a position, those things become what is most important in our life. So in this new teaching series that we've kicked off, we are looking at um, this idea of our Christology. The stuff we understand about the person of Jesus Christ informs our missiology, informs how we actually live life in mission with God in his world, which then shapes our ecclesiology, the, the way we come together as the church. And so we're spending three weeks looking at Christology. Last week... Uh, Keith um, did a great message on Jesus being the Messiah. That Jesus the Messiah is really important for us to understand because that helps us understand the whole Old Testament into the New Testament. And today we're looking at Jesus is King. So a quick review. God created humanity. Humanity was charged to rule on God's behalf in God's creation in the way God had designed for them to do. We read in Genesis 1, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. And then we read in Psalm 8, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor you made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet in psalm 115 we read the highest heavens belong to the lord but the earth he has given to mankind we were created we humanity were created to rule in god's created order in God's created design. And we know that Adam got it wrong. Adam rebelled. And this transferred the rule of the world, the rule of the, the natural world to the enemy. Because Adam and Eve, in that story we read, there's this picture of, I don't want to do it God's way. I want to be the one who chooses what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. And whenever we hold that position... God, Jesus, cannot be king when we are the ones who think we will decide for ourselves what is good and evil, right and wrong. And so God's plan continued on and his plan was still that humans would be the rulers in his created world. And so he needed, needed a new Adam. 
And the Old Testament anticipates this new Adam right through, this new ruler, this new king. And to rule on earth from God's perspective, that what is true and real in heaven, in that realm, would be true and real in the physical realm. The new king was promised by God as early as Genesis chapter 3. And these promises kept coming through Abraham and his family and through David and his lineage and through the prophets. There's this anticipation that the king is coming. Most of the Old Testament, you could argue, sees the nation of Israel anticipating this new king. And then Jesus appears. And we read some of these things about Jesus. I'm trying to click this, but here we go. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near or the kingdom of heaven has arrived or the kingdom of heaven is upon you. In Matthew 4, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee and from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Both those passages have the word repent. Repent basically means change the way you think about this. And then in Matthew 10, Jesus gets his 12 disciples, sends them out with these instructions, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven could only be near if the king had arrived. It's pretty clear what's being said about Jesus and what Jesus is saying about himself. The king is here. The king is here. And so as we've journeyed through John's gospel over the last 15 months, we spent a bit of time in a lot of these things. And you may remember this passage. The next day, the great crowd had come from the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it and fulfilled what was written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And at first his disciples didn't understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. So we see Jesus, after his three years of public ministry, coming into Jerusalem for Passover week and he came in acknowledged and appointed by the people as this is our king. This is the king we've been waiting for. And a week later, many of those same people are saying, crucify him. Because he is a king, he has a kingdom. And we're going to explore that next week. The idea that the king has a kingdom. And what does that mean? It was his claim to be king that got him killed. There's a great passage where Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate is the representative of the emperor, the Roman emperor, who was the king of the world at the time. And so there's this exchange between Jesus and Pilate. Jesus representing the kingdom of God, the true king. 
Pilate representing the kingdom that was happening on earth where the emperor was not the true king. And we read this exchange. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. And it was the day of preparation for the Passover about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. I don't know if we can grasp how scandalous that comment is from Jewish leaders. The chief priest answered, Finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus and carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. And there they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. And Pilate had, no, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Remember unpacking that when we got to that passage in the John series that Jesus was crowned with a crown of thorns. He was given a purple robe representing royalty. He had a title put above him, the King of the Jews. And the story of the Old Testament is that the King of the nation of Israel, the King of the Jews, would be the King of the whole world. Jesus said earlier to this, he said, there will become a time coming when I am lifted up and I will draw all people to myself, Jews and Gentiles. And we're seeing this happen. And the people involved are not seeing Jesus as this mighty emperor, like the emperor of Rome. They're seeing him as this weak man being defeated. I love how when Jesus talks to Pilate in this exchange, there's a point where he says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from this world. I have a different type of kingdom. Yes, it is true what you're saying, I am a king. But I have a different type of kingdom. It's not the same as how these people in the world operate. So it's not hard to see, I think, today that we have the same dilemma as the Jewish leaders have in this passage of Scripture. I reckon many people don't mind Jesus being king by name, but do we recognise his authority? I reckon many of us don't mind Jesus carrying the title, king, but we don't want him telling us what to do, or what to think, or how to respond, or how to behave. And here's the hard truth of this. If we give our allegiance to Jesus as king, now this is not to decide is he king or not, because the Bible's pretty clear, he is king. If we give our allegiance to Jesus as king, he gets to decide. He gets to decide how things should be. He gets the final say on all those things that make up our life. He gets the final say on what marriage looks like. 
on the sanctity of life, on our finances, on our resources, on our relationships, on our lifestyles, on our entertainment choices, on our career paths. I could keep going. He gets the say of these things because he is king. This is a hard teaching because most of us don't want to live this way. Most of us are more like the original Adam saying, now I'll decide for myself what is good or bad, right or wrong. We need to understand how a king operates. A king is the law. What a king says goes. And throughout all of history, human history and biblical history, what we see repeatedly is that when the king is good, the people flourish. When a king is bad, the people suffer. And what we need to ask the question is, is Jesus a good king? Is he a good king? I was going to use Psalm 2 today and I'll encourage you to check out Psalm 2 this week. I've actually put it into our, our Bible reading plan on our website. In Psalm 2 there's this great passage where the psalmist just points out humanity does not like being ruled or of having an owner, having someone make demands of you. There's an image in there of being yoked having a yoke put over you where there is a sense of being controlled. Now, all those words, that I bristle when I hear that stuff. I don't want to be told what to do. My wife repeatedly has encouraged me to get past that at times. I remember in my early days in church when the, the worship leader would, would say, I want everyone to stand and raise their hands, I would go, no, nope. you're not telling me what to do. I won't be controlled. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus the King invites us to take his yoke upon us. In Matthew 11, we read that beautiful passage where Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What I think we struggle with as human beings is that we think we don't even need a yoke. But I would want to suggest this morning that we do. We do need to be partnered with someone who knows how to live life well someone who knows how to do relationships well, someone who knows how to follow the teachings and the ways of God well. And Jesus is saying, I'm that person. Let me put a yoke, let me put my yoke on you and it's going to be an easy yoke because I am a good God. If we operate with the principle of I am my own boss, I am my own king, Imagine if we all live that way. It won't take long until we start bumping into each other's wants and desires and opinions and they, and they won't mesh well. There's something beautiful about people coming under the lordship, the kingship of Jesus because how he calls us to live is the best way for us to live as human beings in relationship with one another. If we can't trust him at that level, we won't step into that. 
in Psalm 2, it continues on and there's this, there's this essence that we need to take refuge in the king, not from the king. Take refuge in the king. The yoke picture actually gives us this, this idea of, of a provision of, of freedom and joy or as Jesus puts it in John chapter 10, it's true life, it's real life. It's life to the full. What I got out of this this week is I need to accept the yoke of Jesus in my life. I need to accept that. And I need to live in that reality. Because I trust that Jesus is a good and kind and loving God. Until we submit to what we were actually created for, life is not going to work well. So how do we do this? I think it can be as simple as just asking, asking the question, Jesus, what do you want me to do about this situation? This relationship, this meeting, this encounter, this conversation. What is it you want me to do in this place? You are king. I will sit under your reign and your rule and your opinion and I just want to be the good servant of the king it could be as simple as that but I know life isn't that straightforward but there's something about aligning ourselves with his rule and his will that enables us to be true citizens of the kingdom Our family's planning on going on a trip overseas early next year and three out of the four of us had to get new passports. We are not King Charles III, we cannot travel without a passport, so we needed new passports, did not understand how expensive they are. A few heads nodding in the room. But the passport says that I'm a citizen of Australia. I can travel to other countries but I don't belong there. They won't let me stay there indefinitely. I can be a visitor, but not a citizen. Our citizenship, because Jesus is the king and because he is in us, our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. And it's a reality now and it will be fulfilled when Jesus returns but that's where our citizenship is. We can't leave our Christianity at home when we go to work or when we go to the shops or when we go to school or when we go to college or when we go to our friend's house for a barbecue. We can't leave our citizenship at home. I love how Paul speaks about this to the Philippians. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our saviour where he will make our bodies like his resurrected body. 
We are citizens of heaven if you are in Christ. And if you are a citizen of heaven, it means you are subject to the rule and reign of the king. And he's a good king. He's not a tyrant. He doesn't want to punish you. He doesn't want to make life hard for you. He wants you to flourish. Our role is to repent, to change the way we think about this stuff. Because the king is here. The kingdom of God has come near. The evidence of this is the fruit in our lives. Jesus wants to be your king and rule your life. For some of us, that does not sound appealing. And if you're sitting there right now or listening to this, I encourage you to to push into why that does not feel appealing to you. And I can say this with experience because for a lot of my life it was not appealing to me to have my life surrendered to Jesus and I'm not there 100% no way in the world you some of you know me well enough to know that but the desire is there that Jesus would be king in my life how do we relate to Jesus as king I reckon just three things I'm going to finish with this one we need to submit to him Submit is a word that is not popular in our culture. In fact, it's often pushed against strongly. What do I mean by submit? I mean accept accept who he calls me to be and to do. The things he calls me to do and the person he calls me to be. Trusting that he knows what is best for me. I don't know what is always best for me but God does. If you've ever read the story of Job, it's an interesting story. Here's a man who he he gets some stuff thrown at him in his life. There's a point where he just says, he's talking about God and he says, but God knows the way I take and when he has tested me, I will come forth like pure gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his ways without turning aside I have not departed from his commands. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Man, imagine if we were a people where that was our reality. So submit, obey. Jesus says pretty clearly when we've unpacked that through John 14, 15 into 16, Jesus says pretty clearly, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. There's the fruit, there's the evidence. If we truly love God, if we are truly following Jesus, we will obey his commands. His commands were centered around love, loving one another. Understanding his commands are important. And third thing I'd say is just we rely on him. We rely on him. It came up this week again. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on and a few of us got to the point and said, oh, yeah, we should pray about that. Oh, yeah, it's probably the last thing we've considered in the whole process, but oh, I want to be a person who turns to God in the first instance in all situations. I'm not there yet, but we're getting, we're getting there. 
Submit, obey and rely on him. Jesus as king. In fact, I would argue that this is actually what the gospel is. When Matthew and Mark and Luke and John wrote their biographies of the life of Jesus, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus is the king. That's the good news. Paul actually sums up this sort of famous last words. One of the last things Paul wrote was to Timothy in his life. And he says, Remember Jesus Christ, the ever-living Lord, who has risen from the dead as the prophesied king, descended from David, the king of Israel, according to the gospel, which is the good news that I preach. Paul's gospel, so to speak, was that Jesus is king. Jesus, at the end of his life, his famous last words, we know it and we've looked at this many times, as the Great Commission. And he said to his disciples before he ascended, he said, all authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus is the King. And so our question is, do we give our allegiance to the King or do we want to hold on to some sort of self-autonomy that says, I will pave my own way in this world, making my own decisions about right and wrong, good and bad, or being influenced by the culture around me as I do that, and ignore the words of the King. That's a decision we have to make daily. There's a... There's a video, I might, I might just finish, I wasn't sure whether I'd show this or not. For those streaming with us, thank you for being with us. We'll see you next week. There's a, a preacher from San Diego. You may have heard of him, I love his